This is the Marketing for Learning podcast, the only podcast in the world that's guaranteed to increase your knowledge, skills, and capabilities when it comes to marketing for learning. Plus, there's a gratuitous amount of pineapples. You're welcome. Hello, hello, hello. It's the Marketing for Learning podcast here, guys. And today you've got Ashley and I'm here talking about a really interesting subject that I expect most of you have heard of, some of you have maybe dabbled with, and that's the notion of behavioral science. We're going to be talking today about behavioral science, obviously through the lens of marketing in terms of how it actually works, some of the key principles of behavioral science, but most importantly, how you folks in L&D can start to leverage some of this without becoming uh, a scientist in behavior yourself. So there's lots of tips and tricks in this podcast um, and lots of quick wins in terms of ways that ultimately you can use marketing, messaging, design, and even your learning to influence your audience's behavior. It's a jam-packed episode. I did research for this one, guys, so you know it's meaty. Um, So strap on in. We've got a fantastic podcast on our hands. So first things first, a caveat. I am not, much like you guys, a behavioral scientist. I am an experienced marketer who has spent over a decade uh, attempting... (laughs) And in some cases, successfully influencing people's behavior. Obviously, the sciences of psychology and sociology, behavioral economics absolutely fascinate me. So what prompted me to actually do this podcast is I was listening to a podcast uh, called Nudge, which I will include in the show notes, highly recommend, is very much marketing focused podcast, but really, really interesting, uh, usually quite short episodes as well, quite data-led, but I just find it fascinating in terms of how, how we can influence people's behavior, so it tends to lean into the world of behavioral science. When I was listening to that podcast, they had an individual um, in from Ogilvy, who is a very, very large marketing agency. They have their fingers in a lot of pies, um, And they were basically talking about a new report that they'd released or a report that they released late last year, basically talking about behavioral science um, and exemplifying, I don't think that's a word, exemplaring, exemplifying. Basically, they were talking through some client examples of work they've done where they've put behavioral science principles and practices into practice at to incredibly impactful results. So what I want to do today is, first of all, introduce you to the report. I'm not going to read through it or anything like that. It's hefty. It'll be in the show notes. If you want to go and investigate it yourself, by all means. Um, But I've taken the cliff notes for you. And to be honest, I've taken probably what I would deem the most relevant and interesting parts of it. So like I said, the cliff notes. Okay, so I loved this quote that they started with in the first page or so. In the world of business and brands, behavioral science doesn't have its pigeonhole. It's not a channel, a function, or even a skill base like strategy. The inconvenient truth is that behavioral science is everywhere that people can be influenced. 
And whilst this pervasiveness could mean that behavioral science is useful everywhere, in practice, it's simply unwise to spread it too thinly. Now that we, i.e. Ogilvy, not me, as a behavioral science practice have conducted thousands of projects with hundreds of the world's biggest brands and FTSE 100 companies, we know better where behavioral science is massive and where it's marginal. So whilst our application of behavioral science will never be industrially or systematically ruled out, because people are just too infinitely complex for that, we have identified key areas where behavioral science repeatedly makes massive differences. These are the bits that I'm going to pull out for you and the things that I found interesting. Behavioral science gives us an unparalleled view into the human mind, which provides the insight to unlock impact. And that's the key piece for me, really, is unlocking impact, understanding our audiences better. That was a pretty much an overarching theme in every single one of their case studies. The report itself goes into an immense amount of detail on some of their campaign efforts that leveraged behavioral science. But one theme existed across all of those case studies. Each and every single campaign started with research. Whether that was profiling audiences, deepening their understanding of personality profiles, cognitive profiles, or even behavioral profiles, that research every single time unearthed significant opportunities to optimize their communication and marketing efforts with audiences. But they only understood the ways to get those small gains, those incremental gains, where the low-hanging fruit was, whatever way you want to say it, they only identified those areas by doing that research and actually taking the breath, taking the moment, taking the time to research and get to know who these people are, what motivates them, what the heck's going on with them, how do they think, how do they feel, super important. People are full of foibles and there's just no way for us to second guess or assume that we know what people are thinking and feeling. They found some incredible results. For example, from tiny things, by the way. So Adobe, they changed one line of text in their services script. So in their call centers, when people want to cancel their subscriptions or if they do it online and they're working with a bot or doing it through the chat function, one line they changed in their services script. Guess how much that change, that one line increased customer retention by? 8%, which I expect for Adobe is freaking significant, right? Like 8% of 100 is 8, but 8% of 100,000 is, I'm not doing the maths on, (laughs) 8,000. Was that right? Don't know. You can tell me. For one line of text, obviously that one line of text is overshadowed almost by the significant level of research and investigation that would have resulted before they changed that one line of text. But ultimately, the benefits of behavioral profiling is just insane. Um, And so that's kind of what I wanted to talk about is, you know, people are getting massive, massive traction by changing tiny things or thinking more about their audiences. And Whilst I fully appreciate that we as a learning function 
aren't Ogilvy and we're not Adobe in the truest sense of the word. Well, some of you may may work at Adobe that are listening, but my point is you don't have the budget of the marketing team of Adobe. So you can't engage the likes of Ogilvy to undertake extensive market research for you and essentially do all the legwork. But that scale of behavioral science isn't realistic for us. But I still believe that some of the mindset and the practices of it are. So before I actually go into detail with some of that practices and behavioral science and how what it actually means for us in L&D, I wanted to just leave you with a final little thought uh, from the report itself, and then I'll move on to contextualizing this for you folky folkies in L&D. If you speak to a car mechanic, they'll be able to tell you how the car works. If you're undergoing heart surgery, your surgeon will be an expert on the procedure. Yet if you have millions to spend on getting your customers or employees to take action, very few will have the sufficient insight to the human mind required for consistent behavior change. Instead, we rely on the demographic and behavioral data so readily in front of us. Sound familiar? Which tells us the who and the what, but provides very little clue on how to persuade our thoughts or feelings. Never mind change behaviors. So, what does behavioral science mean for us in L&D? Well, look, I've taken my own kind of interpretation of the research I've done um, and mostly dug into some of the more interesting behavioral science principles that I think you guys can leverage. Um, There are lots, by the way. Um, I'm not even going to go into all of them. But some that you may have heard, um, agreeableness, a personality trait that describes an individual's tendency to be compassionate, empathetic, cooperative, or trusting. Again, these this is all backed by extensive research. This isn't just like someone waving their finger in the air and saying, hey, people like to do this. Like, this is all very heavily research-led and data-led. Uh, ambiguity aversion, the tendency to favor the known over the unknown availability bias our judgments of reality are often skewed by recent and salient events cognitive overload we like that one in lnd we talk about that a lot we're not when too much information is presented in a way that is hard to understand making it difficult for people to process and apply the information Confirmation bias. Anyone who works in DEI will know that one. Our underlying tendency to notice, focus on, and give greater credence to evidence that fits with our existing beliefs. So on and so forth. There are tons of them, and again, you can go down a wormhole with these. Highly, I'll, I'll, I'll send a link to in the show notes again to some that I was researching today. But I want to hone in on six in particular, that I think are incredibly relevant, highly applicable, and most importantly, actually able to be applied in the world of learning and development. So let's get started. Okay, before we go any further, this isn't actually like a behavioral science principle, but I'm still putting it as my number one because it is the foundation of behavioral science. It's the backbone of everything done within this field. 
It is about deeply understanding your audiences before you undertake marketing towards them. Anyone who's trying to do any sort of behavioral change, behavioral impact, shifting people's attitudes, mindsets, etc., knows that they need to deeply understand who their audiences are. And that goes beyond their demographic data, <coughs> job titles. It goes beyond the basics. Um, so I guess what I'm trying to say here is if you want your marketing to be meaningful, if you actually want your marketing to be impactful, the first step behind things like behavioral science, but also behind influence and persuasion is understanding more about who it is that you're trying to persuade. I cannot express that enough or really push forward how valuable the persona's process is. And that means talking to your audience directly rather than letting other stakeholders tell you what their function thinks and feels about learning. You need to hear it from the horse's mouth. You need to be able to actually truly understand how these people feel. When you're undertaking interviews, don't just focus on your product, i.e. your learning. You can't just ask them lots of questions about, well, you know, how why don't you learn? Why haven't you got time to learn? What's your favorite piece of learning? Do you know? Please don't ask that if you ask that, by the way. Um, you know, do you know what sort of learning you have available? You can ask some of those questions, but pepper in questions around their organizational culture. Pepper in questions about what motivates them, what causes them to actually take action. Again, you got to take some of this stuff with a pinch of salt. People aren't always so good at self-identifying their own behaviors, but it certainly gives you a much better insight and an ability to glean where opportunities lay. It also allows you to maybe see where there's some universal truths across your organization, i.e. where are those red threads that unite your audiences, but also where are the forks in the road, where are the things that are variable and change from audience to audience. So step one in marketing and step one in behavioral science is making sure that you have a very robust understanding of who it is you are trying to do marketing to. Their job title isn't adequate for that. It really isn't. Nor is um, profiles and personas that are focused on their learning needs, their learning styles, etc. This stuff, learning styles to go to the bin anyways, but you know that stuff's great for you when you're building out a learning strategy, but it just means sweet FA when it comes to building out a marketing strategy. So that is step one. All right, now that I've got that off my chest, step one, before you do anything else with behavioral science, understand your audience. Do research, real research. Um, now, let's talk about some more interesting stuff, although I think actually learning more about your audiences is incredibly interesting, but, you know, I'm a marketing nerd, so <laughs> you might not share that sentiment. Let's look at some principles that sit behind behavioral science. Some of my favorites ones I use a lot in my own marketing, um, certainly use in our efforts with our clients. The first one that I love, and it's something I encourage every single one of my customers to do within marketing campaigns, is leveraging social proof. So social proof, also known as herding, um, I expect the reason social proof is used more than herding is herding 
has quite a pejorative uh, feeling to it, in my opinion. But essentially, the concept refers to the fact that we as humans make decisions that are based on what other people around us think and are doing. So that's kind of like that herd mentality. You know, people are often referred to as sheep, hence the term herding. And this is certainly not a new analogy, but research, science does suggest that there is substance behind this. So essentially, if we know something's been tried and tested and liked by others, then we're more likely to go ahead and invest. I've mentioned this in previous podcasts that I've recorded, why things like TripAdvisor, Trustpilot, Glassdoor, G2 Crowd, etc, etc, have gotten so much traction and do so very, very, very well, it's because people believe other people and the social proof aspect just builds your brand integrity so much more than you can yourself. How do you use that in learning? Well, in marketing for learning, I think you can apply it in a couple of different ways. So first of all, sharing news like user stories, like stories of where individuals have actually genuinely got an impact from learning, whether that's career progression, whatever whatever you feel is a, a, a core benefit to learning in your organization, find people that can tell that story. Let their voice be your voice because there is an incredible amount of research and evidence to support the fact that hearing it from them is much more likely to influence someone's behavior than you going around saying, well, people love it and it's great and it changes lives. So make sure you're using individual stories as much as possible share their feedback and reviews so you've got social channels gosh get some start using testimonials and quotes start getting some data and some facts and some figures to evidence that this is impactful and it's valuable to people one of the like coolest things or easiest things you can do and you know like if you've got a landing page like what are your top 10 most viewed courses this year last year maybe this year since it's only just february um what's hot what's not you know why don't I cherry pick content for people make things easy what's hot what are other people doing come and jump on the bandwagon like you know this is the sort of stuff that social proof hurting and also the bandwagon um effect is another another aspect to this um but it can it can really get people moving (laughs) um and it also helps to tap into the concept of FOMO um and so again People don't want to miss out on something that they think other people are enjoying or getting benefit from. You know, it's why products go viral on TikTok. I mean, the freaking Stanley Cup thing, such an example of that. Use social proof, use user stories, use the hurting effect where you can. Um, And if you haven't heard of the Stanley Cup effort, um, I will put a link in the show notes. But essentially, a woman's car got burned. I can't remember if it got stolen and burned or if it just got caught on fire. And when she went to collect it, like a couple of days later or two days later or something, her Stanley Cup, which is like to keep hot things hot and cold things cold, um, was still intact and still had ice in it. (laughs) And so Stanley jumped on it and basically bought her a new car and turned it into this whole big freaking marketing campaign. And now everyone's going crazy for Stanley Cups social proof, user-generated content, user stories, work a treat. Okay, next behavioral science principle that I love and again use a lot myself 
is loss aversion. I actually did a whole episode on FOMO and loss aversion on episode 56. Again, link in the show notes if you want. If you really want to take a deep dive into loss aversion and what it is and and some of the research behind it. Fascinating. But essentially the, the theory behind this is and the research that shows that talking about what people might lose by not partaking in your product or service has been proven by behavioral sciences to be more effective than telling them that what they will gain and benefit from. Let me repeat that. By telling consumers what they're likely to lose by not engaging with your product or service has been proven by behavioral scientists to be more effective than telling consumers what they will gain and benefit from. That means that the emotions felt when losing something are often much stronger than the feelings that are felt when something is gained, hence FOMO. This is something we almost abjectly refuse to leverage in L&D. Internal comms maybe won't let us, um, but... You know, even talking about benefits over features, that's a win. But actually talking about what you lose by inaction is is an incredibly motivating factor and messaging that we do not leverage in L&D. What is the cost to your audience for not engaging? What is the expense of apathy? This could be an incredible way to activate audiences and really get attention. What risks are they taking by not investing in themselves and helping to progress and advance their careers? Skills are changing at a rapid pace at the moment. What does that mean for them if they don't invest their time in learning and development? Much, 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 much more compelling. The cost is more compelling than the gain. So make sure that if you can try and try this out just in a subject line of your email or, you know, try it, just trial it out in a little bit of messaging where maybe internal comms isn't going to get very upset on your social platforms and closed teams groups in workday, you know, where workplace areas where maybe so many eyes aren't on it. Give it a try because I promise you the research shows that loss is much more impactful at getting people to take action. All right, one I love for its simplicity, uh, ability to be easily remembered is the East model. That is like the East, North, South, East, West, the East model. It's an acronym. The E stands for easy. The A stands for attractive. The S stands for social. And the T stands for timely. So let's look through this. This is a framework that you can work with, ensuring that everything that you are putting out to people is easy, attractive, social, and timely. What does that mean? So easy. Obviously, we talk about reducing cognitive load, making it as simple and as streamlined as possible for people to not only access your learning, but to understand the losses and benefits of their of their undertaking your learning. You need to remove friction, remove any stress points that you can throughout the learner journey and the employee experience overall. If things are easier for people to do, they're much more likely to do it. 
Han and I have talked about this at length from the extensive discovery work that we've done where we've talked directly to learners at a multitude of global organizations across the world. It's a common thread that people don't know where to go, don't know what to do if they get there and feel absolutely inundated with learning and they don't really know where to start. Make it easy for them. It also needs to be attractive. If something appeals to your target audience, it's going to get more attention. It's going to leave people feeling more positive about the change that will be created as a result of using your learning. Ultimately, the notion or the idea of learning has to be appealing to your audience. It has to be attractive to them. They have to understand why it's going to be useful for them so that they understand the benefits to actually undertaking learning. So it has to be attractive to them in some way, shape, or form. Really important to remember that because I think sometimes we get really lost in L&D with or bogged down in the compliance and mandatory nature of a lot of the things that we are obliged to do for the organization. And as a consequence of that, that completely establishes and frames our mindset around the learning model in terms of people should just want to learn or they have to learn. Um, So again, that's why I like this East model because you're already, you know, it, it, it basically embodies everything that Han and I have talked about in terms of putting people first as humans, not learners, not employees, not their job titles. So thinking about it in the terms of your product has to be attractive to them in order for them to buy it. Um, And by buy it, we mean obviously transacting with their time it's a really significant shift in mindset. So things need to be easy. They need to be attractive. The third aspect of the East model is social. So again, I already talked about social proof earlier in the podcast. This really pulls in that second behavioral science piece around social proof. People are more likely to do or buy something if they see that other people already have and they have done so to success. So again, how can you tell stories? How can you evidence the impact? How can you substantiate what those benefits are with proof? If you can tie in the social aspect using herding as well, um, but really tie in how other people's existing behaviors can influence the inaction of others. Really important aspect to behavioral science and and influence, in my opinion. So really consider how you can start to bring in a social aspect into your marketing efforts because it's highly influential and that's why it's present in so many of these principles that I'm talking about today. The final piece, of course, is timely. Timely means that it is at the right time, right? So things need to, we talk about learning being relevant at the point of need. Marketing needs to be the same, right? So you want to capture people's attention at the right time and establish habits early on to keep people engaged. So again, you know, that's why we talk about, you know, you guys understand the concept of space repetition. Hannah just did a podcast on the rule of seven and why consistency and constant visibility is really, really critical to actually getting people to make movement, change their behavior. 
So timely needs to be kept front of mind too. Where do we need to hit these people? When's it going to be relevant for them? Why is that important? You know, these are questions that you need to be asking yourself all the time in terms of how you can positively influence people's behavior using this EAST model. My favorite out of all of the ones I read about because it is so relevant. It ties in everything that we've already are saying to you guys. Easy, attractive, social, and timely. And the final principle I'm going to share with you guys is authority bias. Some of you may have heard of this before. Others, it may be a completely alien concept, but have you ever noticed when your CEO or your C-suite in general say something people pay attention? Mm, That's authority bias at work. So, Essentially, from a consumer perspective, it means people putting their trust and confidence in expertise. This is why a lot of brands use influencers or uh, I don't know if you're if you're Nike and you're selling shoes, why using athletes to be advocates for your shoes is an incredible way to sell your product because it's leveraging authority bias. People who use that all the time rigorously in their sport are saying good things about it says a lot. So from the perspective of learning, we need to think about how you can, again, you'll notice a lot with a lot of these frameworks, it's around validation as well, you know, like the art of persuasion is, is precisely that, proving to people that what you're saying is true. And I think authority bias plays a really important role. So authority bias needs facts, statistics, hard evidence, things that really validate and substantiate what you're saying, whilst also being led or vocalized by someone who is seen as an authority figure. So in your organization, that might be people with a lot of influence. It doesn't necessarily just have to be leadership, but you know, have a think about individuals who could be good, strong voice boxes for you that are well respected in the organization or are quite vocal for whatever reason. Could they be a conduit for them for your message? Could they stand on your soapbox for you? It's really important, again, if you want to start looking into behavior science, how you can consider linking your product, i.e. your learning. One day I'll think I can just stop saying i.e. learning and you'll just know when I say product, I mean learning, but we're not there yet. Linking that to those that are seen as an authority figure in your organization. By doing that, what you do is actually build trust and credibility with your brand and your product. So authority bias is at work in a lot of different areas. I just gave you a rudimental example with the sports stars, but you know, again, looking at things like influencers, that's taking the herding effect, that's taking social proof and user-generated content, and it's taking authority bias, which is three different models or principles within behavioral science. It's why it works. You pick the right spokesperson for your product you have the right data and evidence or substantiative fact to sit behind it and suddenly it becomes almost impossible to resist you know why do you think so many tiktok products are selling these days i guess it's becoming an e-commerce site arguably because again influencers are using their established authority on a subject to sell something. You know, if I came on this podcast and I said to you guys, 
I've just come across this incredible marketing course that I highly recommend you guys use. I've gone through it. It even taught me stuff and I've been sat in marketing for over a decade. You'd pay attention. I'm not saying that you'd necessarily go buy, but a chunk of you would at least go and look at, into it and see what it's about because you trust me. I am seen as an authority in marketing by you and therefore what I say carries weight and has gravitas. So identify those people in your organization and really consider how you can leverage them to help amplify your message. People as channels is the most effective marketing approach in L&D, in my opinion, anyways, compounding that with some of these behavioral principles is just going to supercharge your efforts. If you want to um, go down a wormy wormhole, again, I'll put this in the show notes, but there was a, I wouldn't go as far as to say it's entirely unethical, but I'm not sure it would be done today. But there was a, a study on authority bias, bias, the first of its kind in the 60s. Um, it's called the Milgram Obedience Experiment. And essentially, this guy had people pretend to be like professors and brought brought people members of the public in and basically told them to give another person um, an electrical shock. So the person who was receiving the shocks wasn't actually receiving shocks. They were like patsies. They were they were part of the experiment. So really what what was being analyzed was the behavior of the individual from the public in terms of how willing they were to inflict pain on someone just by an authority figure asking them or encouraging them to do so. Fascinating study. Um, quite an extreme example of how authority bias affects our behavior, but a compelling one nevertheless. So if uh, that piqued your interest, go have a read. I'll link uh, to something that I read. I thought it was fascinating anyways. So that is the final principle that I want to talk about today. Let's summarize, shall we? All right, that was a whistle-stop tour of behavioral science fundamentals, behavioral science 101, whatever you want to call it. As a quick refresher, this is a slightly longer episode than normal. I did not anticipate that. I apologize. Thanks for sticking with me on this journey of 30 minutes, guys. Um, But really, what I want you to take away from this episode is... Behavioral science is essentially gaining even wider perspectives into our audience's thought patterns, how they think, what their brain is doing, um, and really trying to gain more insight into who they are so that we can unlock and unveil opportunities for better impact. I've covered a lot of different principles today in terms of you know, how we can actually use some simple behavioral science principles in our day-to-day learning functions and in our marketing efforts to influence behavior, to impact people's thought processes in a way that we want to. Um, You know, that is the art of persuasion. That is the magic of behavioral science. Ultimately, what we're looking to do is instigate consistent behavior change. 
Have a think about how much of this could even be applied to your learning strategy, because I expect there's more than you think. You know, the overlap between learning and marketing continues to astonish me um, because ultimately at the crux of it all is people. I'm going to leave you with a final quote from Rory Sutherland, vice chairman at Ogilvy. It's taken from that report. Out of the crooked timber of humanity, no straight thing was ever made. And I think that that is such a fascinating thought. Nothing is linear. Nothing is as simple as we like to make it. So experiment, test, learn, evolve your approaches. Try some things out from what I've said today and see how it works. What is your audience receptive to from a behavioral science perspective? This is the experiments that I want you guys to try. And that's it from me. Thank you so much for, like I said, sticking with me. It was a, a lengthy session, um, but hopefully one that you learned a lot from. I enjoyed delving deeper into the world of behavioral science. I've only scratched the surface. Um, but of course, if you enjoyed this episode, there's two things you can do for us to ensure that we can, are able to continue to make Marketing for Learning podcast a thing. One is hit the follow button or actually rate the podcast for us. That really helps with visibility and ensuring that we're getting seen. But secondly is spread the word. You know, we've had over 21,000 downloads of this podcast, but it still remains a pretty well-kept secret. So if you're learning from us and you want to... <laughs> <laughs> I'm not behavior sciencing you here. Please share it with other people. Please share it with your peers. Please share it with your team and other LNDs because, you know, again, that amplification piece for us is really important and ensures that we can invest the time to help educate and empower you lovely LND folks. Thanks so much for your time and attention. I'll be back soon. You know I will. Surely there will be a little snack for your ears where Han and I are together. Um, we're actually meeting up for the learning awards at the end of this month and we're going to record a podcast together. So that should be interesting. Never, never really know how they're going to go. Um, but yeah, big love guys. I will see you soon. Bye.